0: That's winds standing wins!
1: <laughs> professional Podcast Drinking from Human Skulls A Professional Podcast
2: Hello and greetings. Welcome once again to another episode of Drinking from Human Skulls. My name is Doni Cardoni. I will be your host for this and every episode. And today we're going to get into a topic that we covered previously, trust the science. And for those of you who haven't put two and two together lately, it's getting a little bit difficult to trust the science. And I just couldn't fit it all in one episode. The evidence keeps mounting up and piling. But I want to talk to you again about some more science flip-flops, some whistleblowers, and just some abnormalities to channel Alex Jones that we need to look out for. And this is really important, I think, because honestly, we're all making decisions based on this information. So when we have to wade through the nonsense and wade through the BS, it becomes a little challenging When there's so much of it and you're being hit from multiple angles for multiple reasons. Perhaps PR is part of the equation. Perhaps there's a narrative that's being shaped by nefarious makers. But we're going to talk about a few things. And I started recording this episode on February 1st. So forgive me if we need to do another installment, Trust the Science, Volume 3. But actually, I don't think that's out of the question. Well, the first thing we're going to talk about today is a new concept that's popping up early 2021, and it's called double masking. That's when you wear two masks instead of just one during a pandemic. And as you may know, we are experiencing one right now. It's called COVID-19, came from a bat probably or whatever. Who knows? We'll get into that later. So here's the deal. Anthony Fauci was on TV again doing his best impression of a scientist as he's known to do. And he brought up a topic that to him was just common sense. It's common sense, he said, to wear double masks. Two masks are better than one. Anthony Fauci, best scientist in the whole world, said, He's a top doctor. Okay, take a drink.
3: A lot of folks uh, are hearing now about double masking, wearing two masks or trying to get one of those N95 medical grade masks. Do you believe that that's... A-
1: you know, it, it it likely does because, I mean, this is a physical covering to prevent droplets and virus to get in. So if you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common sense that it likely would be more effective. And that's the reason why you see people either double masking or doing a version of an N95.
2: You know, as I was listening to that the first time, I had an offensive thought that I would be embarrassed if everyone else was double masking, but I chose to single mask. And the video that you can see if you go to drinkingfromhumanskulls.com, I've got the video there. But in the video, they're showing it's like product placement for cloth masks. And I was thinking, yeah, that would look pretty cool if I had a cloth mask on top of my surgical mask. You know what? I had that thought and I felt violated by my own subconscious. You know, I used to live in Taiwan for about five years that's a long story but pretty much the whole time i was there everyone was wearing masks all the time if you went on the subway system if you went on any kind of transit at all even if walking on the street you'd be wearing a mask and you could argue that it's pretty smoggy and smoky over there in taiwan in most places this is a sad reality but i think people were wearing the mask because they were afraid of getting sick most of all or afraid of passing on an illness And the thing is, I could never get used to wearing them because I felt that I looked like a serial murderer. If you cover up half the face and you just leave the eyes, I've got a bit of a killer instinct that I can't shake. And people might get scared if they only see my eyes. And that's what I thought. Of course, I had no choice now because... The hammer hath come down upon everyone who doesn't wear a mask. Numerous cancellations. That's something I want to get into later. Sort of a curation of all the voyeur video cancellations that went on because people didn't want to wear a mask in Walmart and they threw a hissy fit and then they were ratted out on social media. So we'll curate those. Let's stick with the topic of double masking first. So like I said, I lived in Taiwan. Everyone wears a mask there all the time, regardless of COVID-19 or not. But... Here's one thing that I noticed when COVID started. I don't know if you guys remember this, but people would be wearing the most outlandish face coverings. Like they would put plastic bottles on their face. They would put entire hazmat suits on. And I think it's safe to say the majority of those sightings of people wearing uh, hazmat suits and plastic bottles on their head were from these countries where people already were used to wearing masks. So what I'm trying to say is the next logical step From masking, it goes to double masking, then triple masking, then wear a fucking hazmat suit. I want to just say clearly, I think there's people who just don't like wearing masks. I don't think that they should be treated like evil people. I don't like wearing a mask because I think I look like a freak. And I don't like wearing a mask because I can't breathe very well with them on. Literally, it just feels uncomfortable. I feel off my game. And by the way, it's not really that the science is so rock solid. I think it's probably the case that if you're sick, it's most important that you should wear a mask. And I think certainly if you're visiting someone in a nursing home, for example, you would take extra precautions, but you don't just say everyone wear a mask all the time because it is driving everyone crazy. It's driving me crazy. You know, I can't get used to it. I've been putting this mask on every time I step out the door, I always forget it. Always. I can't adjust to it. I think it's the dumbest thing ever. Period, the end. If you remember, we'll clip this as well. Anthony Fauci actually sort of played smokescreen defense on masks. He sort of suggested that you don't need to wear them. A bit of a flip-flop. Let's take a drink of this.
1: Now people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect
2: protection. So there's your classic flip flop. We got Anthony Fauci basically saying, "Don't wear a mask. Then do wear a mask. Then we'll go ahead and wear two masks." Look, I don't know why this Anthony Fauci guy is taken so seriously. He's 80 years old, okay, and I don't mean 80 year olds have to hang it up, but he's traveling around the country. He's doing interviews all the time, and he's staying on top of all the science. I don't think so, sir. And if you look at his track record, he's always been a politician. And here's another flip-flop for you to check out. Take a drink of this. There are many
1: people who feel, you know, if you really want to have an extra little uh, bit of protection, maybe I should put two masks on. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's no data that indicates that that is going to make a difference. And that's the reason why the CDC has not changed the recommendations.
2: So those felt flip-flops. And all this is to say that I don't think the top doctor in the world with all these connections and all this background and history and medicine really knows what he's talking about. Hey guys, it's me, Donny, the host of Drinking From Human Skulls. The world is coming to an end, you don't have a job, and you're bleeding your parents dry. Pretty soon, everyone you know and love is going to die in nuclear war. That's why this is the perfect time to donate to Drinking From Human Skulls, a professional podcast. Just visit drinkingfromhumanskulls.com and click the donate button to get started. And if you can't afford to donate, click on anything that looks like an ad. Doing so will help me and your corporate overlords. Why let your money disintegrate in a mushroom cloud when you could support the Drinking from Human Skulls podcast? Now, let's get back to the show. But let's now hear from another doctor. Her name is Simone Gold, and she started a little organization called America's Frontline Doctors. And she went against the status quo narrative, and that, of course, caused her to be canceled, maligned, banned, and basically called a crackpot in every which way that they possibly can call her that. And again, the people who are going against the status quo, of course, they take risks with their personal life and their professional life as well. She was fired from her job for taking a stance of, Uh, Alternative treatments for COVID-19. And alternative treatments, I would put a heavy air quote around that statement because I don't think these are the alternative treatments. I think these are the only treatments. And yet these are the ones that won't make pharmaceutical companies billions of dollars. And so follow the money on that. Now, before we get into these clips, I want to tell you a little thing about uh, Dr. Simone Gold, which is interesting. She was actually at the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. And I can't seem to figure out what she actually did. But the thing is, she was at the Capitol. She's on film there. She has admitted to it. She has been charged. And I I don't know where those charges are right now. So we're still learning what actually happened on January 6th. But if I could talk to Dr. Simone Gold and actually get it from the horse's mouth, that would be pretty valuable because she's a doctor. She's a lawyer. She's a smart cookie. And as you're about to hear, she's got some salient perspectives on treatment and our reaction to the COVID-19 virus situation. So let's take a big old drink, shall we?
3: And I come before you on behalf of America's Frontline Doctors, which is a volunteer physician organization that we started specifically to combat the serious and and life-threatening disinformation campaign that has really taken over America and really the entire globe. It's very, very scary stuff. I've been a doctor for a long time before me. My father is a doctor. I've never seen anything like this, where we have groups of physicians or scientists and government bureaucrat agencies essentially lying to the American people and people across the world. I have many, many examples. One one brief example I'll give you is that the National Institute of Health right now has as its policy recommendation for patients with COVID-19 stating that unless you're in the hospital requiring oxygen, there's no actual treatment available for you. That is a complete falsehood, completely false. In most of the world, non-first world countries, there's plenty of treatment easily available, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. Here in America, if you can find a doctor to prescribe it, you get those medicines, or budesonide. There's, there's many options. And you know this disinformation is why we came public. <laughs>
2: So there you have it, just like Dr. Corey and several others who we've documented in the previous episode and who many have documented. Dr. Simone Gold is saying that there are other treatments available to COVID-19 patients. We don't have to rely on these experimental vaccines and we don't have to most of all be so afraid that we shut down the entire world's economy like they have. So let's keep listening because she's got a lot more to say. This was just the beginning
3: that the next big popular well-known lie was the maligning of this common, ordinary, cheap, safe medication called hydroxychloroquine. Those of you who've traveled abroad, who've taken mission trips, for example, or anybody in the military are quite familiar with this drug. Doctors would just give it out, you know, like candy. I know that I was gonna take a holiday to Africa about 20 years ago, and I was a medical student at the time, and they just handed me The pills, here you go. I never asked any questions. It was a big fat nothing burger, (laughs) taking hydroxychloroquine. All of a sudden we started hearing as doctors, even as doctors, that hydroxychloroquine is unsafe. You can't understand what's going on with the lies until you understand what an enormous lie this is. Hydroxychloroquine is over the counter in much of the world, okay? It's taken in many African nations. They call it Sunday, Sunday medicine because you take it every Sunday. Right? That's like its name, Sunday, Sunday. People keep it in their pocket the way Americans might keep its Tylenol in their purse. It's it's, it's absolutely ordinary stuff. It was over-the-counter really in any country which had malaria or any country that had citizens that would visit malaria countries on holiday, it was over-the-counter. For example, it was over-the-counter in France. The only reason it wasn't over-the-counter in America is there just wasn't a consumer demand. Right, in America we use hydroxychloroquine for two main reasons, that's lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and also for malaria for people going on holiday. But generally it's lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and for those illnesses, patients regularly see physicians so they can get a prescription for it. That's why it was never over the counter here. Not because it was unsafe. It's been FDA approved for 65 years. We give it to babies, we give it to children, we give it to pregnant women, we give it to nursing mothers, we give it to the elderly and we give it to the immune compromised. Those last two categories take this medication for decades. There was never a pretense that it's not safe. That's the drug that you've been hearing about for nine months now, ten months, telling you it's unsafe. It's an incredible lie of incredible proportions. Once you understand that, you will be suspicious of everything that follows.
2: So there it is again, another account of... How hydroxychloroquine has been somehow politicized as a treatment for COVID-19, it doesn't make any sense except if you follow the money. Insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies can't earn money off of a 50-year-old medication or whatever it is. Again, I don't know what is in it for her. She can't make money off of this treatment. Unless something comes to light, but I sincerely doubt it. Why would the entire media apparatus be against this medication, and be using it as a political weapon against Donald Trump. And again, I'm not a Trump supporter. This is not a smokescreen for my hidden right-wing agenda. This is just, I don't know why the entire world has lost their mind and has succumbed to a PR fiasco to this degree. Could it be that pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies are funding the media? think about it. Let's continue listening because again, Dr. Simone Gold has a lot to say. Take a drink of this.
3: So that's where I found myself. There I was in the emergency department treating patients as they came in with COVID-19. And once we had the rapid test so I can confirm the diagnosis, my first patient who I needed to give hydroxychloroquine and zinc to, I did it and and even knowing the kind of the controversy, I really didn't think twice about it. It, it, I don't know, it was fine. I gave it to her, I actually called her the next day. She was so much better. She herself got better within about 12 hours. In about 48 hours, she was essentially completely well. This completely matched what I had read in the scientific literature. I knew many doctors who had done this. I'd read many journal articles. It was was completely consistent. What was really shocking and completely inconsistent was my medical director who calls me the next day and threatens to fire me for doing this This treatment, it was, was, I I can't even tell you to the, even as I describe this moment to you, it's shocking to me. I remember the case, the situation, the conversation, and he's saying he's going to fire me. And I said, why would you fire me over this? Well, I don't think it works. I said, well, then don't prescribe it. (laughs) You know, you haven't read the science the way I have. I know it works. You'll change your mind in a couple of months when, you know, you get a little wiser. But why would you get involved with, with, you know, me treating a patient? You do your thing, I do my thing. That's how medicine is practiced. We are licensed as individuals. It's actually against the law to have what's called a corporate practice of medicine where, you know, corporation practice is for you. It has to be the individual doctor's physician. That's why patients go to multiple doctors, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and really, the, almost the worst part of the conversation was not even that he was ignorant that the drug worked, but his reasons for saying that he was going to fire me if I did this and the reason, which he put in writing because he wasn't so smart, <laughs> he said it was because the, the, the biggest payer at that hospital, which is a large insurance company that everyone here has heard of, that's back on the west coast mainly, didn't want us to prescribe it. They were blocking it. So that payer, insurance company, was pressuring the hospital that their doctor shouldn't do it. It had nothing to do with even if he thought it was good or bad for the patient. It all had to do with money and payment, which was. I honestly, I I still can't believe I'm relating the story. It was really unbelievable. So he said, I could never do that again. I said, well, good luck with that.
2: So there you have it a firsthand account of how the insurance companies are basically colluding with the pharmaceutical companies to maximize their potential profit on, I think it's a per disease basis. You know, we have this medication that's years and years old, off patent cannot make a lot of money from it. So of course the insurance companies don't want people to prescribe it. So again, follow the money. And Dr. Simone Gold continues the story. Take a drink.
3: So I set up to do something called the White Coat Summit, which was an entire day of education. We brought doctors and we brought social media influencers. Uh, Young people know them as YouTubers. So we brought a whole bunch of YouTubers and a whole bunch of doctors. We brought to Washington. We did seven hours of education. And we laid out all the facts, all the facts, you know, very dispassionate. Here's the facts on hydroxychloroquine. Here's the facts on lockdowns. Here's the facts on masks. Here's the facts on you know, schools and kids transmission. Here's the facts for the elderly. Here's the facts on you know, other treatments other than hydroxychloroquine. And we did that. In the middle of that day, we took a break and we walked over to the Supreme Court. And that was the video that got 20 million views. It gets 20 million views, not because I can sing like Beyonce, but <laughs> because human beings recognize truth. We have something inside of us, right? Right? I I, I really emphasize that point because you can't get to 20 million views. Nobody plans such a thing. It's only if people say, oh my gosh, you got to listen to this. You got to listen to this. You recognize the truth. You recognize the truth. So I guess after a while, big tech, you know, caught up with the fact that this was like breaking the internet. And so within an hour, all of the All of the platforms censored us simultaneously, so it's it's essentially a monopoly. So we're talking YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all of us, all went down immediately. The president had retweeted us, the president's son had retweeted us. And from that moment on, everything really kind of changed. I did get fired from both of my hospitals. It is a scary experience to get fired, especially when you've worked as long as I have to be A board-certified emergency physician, that's what I do. You know, I'm a mom, I have kids, you know, it's not a comfortable feeling to be fired. You don't know what the future holds.
2: Uh, So Simone was fired, canceled, banned, etc. And you really just have to wonder what's in it for her. Why would she rock the boat, lose her jobs, lose her platforms for nothing? It doesn't make any sense. Follow the money. What does she gain for upsetting her entire life? It just does not make any sense. Maybe she's just one of the few brave people willing to stand up for what's right, who actually does care about treating patients and helping people to live healthier lives. Could that be it? Well, she continues, so let's take a drink of this next clip.
3: Now, the fear has led to people... They they really just want to go back to normal lives. So they're either kind of consumed with fear or consumed with just being weary of the whole situation. That is what I think is leading to people making what is really a fundamentally irrational decision to rush headlong towards an experimental medication. They just kind of want to get their lives back. We've been told, oh, get the vaccine, you'll get your life back. I have to give you the bad news. That is definitely not what's going to happen. Whether you take a shot or you don't take a shot, it's not going to happen. You know, Dr. Fauci has gone public already with saying, and as many others, the Surgeon General and many others have said, it was in Business Journal just today, Business Insider, I think, just today. You know, this, this so-called vaccine, experimental biological agent, actually doesn't stop transmission. You're going to have to keep going with the masks and the social distancing. It actually changes nothing. Once you hear that, you really have to question why you would put yourself in that situation.
2: Uh, so the vaccine doesn't stop transmission and that's from the horse's mouth the surgeon general well let's actually clip him right now because you'll hear him he just drops it in right at the end it's quite shocking so take a drink of this
1: one final question once somebody gets the vaccine how safe are they and should people feel free are they are they safe to see them at any time or do you still have to be careful
2: We still need to be careful uh, into the at least second quarter of next year because these vaccines were tested uh, with an outcome of severe disease, not a prevention of infection. So we don't know yet whether they will prevent infection, but they could prevent you from being in the hospital and ultimately uh, passing from this virus. Still incredibly important to get vaccinated, but we're going to need to continue to wear a mask, wash our hands and watch our distance as we slowly start to reopen with the assistance of these great vaccines.
1: General Adams, thanks for your time this morning.
3: (laughs)
2: So there you have it the surgeon general himself basically doing a pharmaceutical commercial on good morning america and at the end he says well, we don't know if the vaccine actually prevents infection and that you still need to social distance wear a mask and presumably you'll still be locked down even if you take the vaccine they don't know if it prevents infection He said these vaccines were developed with an outcome of serious disease. So if that's the case, then this is not a vaccine. This is a treatment. And that's a big distinction because, as we've covered several times, there are already treatments that exist that are pennies on the dollar compared to this vaccine. Of course, those treatments don't have a collusive arrangement between the government and the pharmaceutical industry that lines the pockets of people on both sides. And it actually just came out that Fauci received a $1 million prize from the Israeli government for speaking truth to power in science. That's a quote. And you have to wonder, well, Israel has the highest vaccination rate in the entire world. They've vaccinated a third of their population already. And then they give Fauci a million dollars is there a connection is he pulling some strings not that I believe this vaccine works but isn't it interesting that they have the highest vaccination rates and then they give Fauci a million dollars they're not Americans Fauci's the American disease expert and yet Israel is giving him a million dollars does it make sense I don't think it does You tell me. Anyhow, let's get back to Simone Gold. She's got a couple more things to say before we move on to another very highly decorated expert. Take a drink of this.
3: Okay, what is the chance that you'll survive COVID if you should get it? Okay, so uh, this is a very educated audience. (laughs) So if you're under age 20, according to the CDC, which is not known for its honesty, the survival rate is 99.997%. Why are we talking about anything in that group? There's nothing to talk about. For ages 20 to 49, the survival rate is 99.98%. 50 to 69, the survival rate is 99.5%. I always kind of pause there because a lot of people in their 50s, they start to get worried, and they think, oh my gosh, I'm in such a high risk group. It's not really that true, right? This is with no treatment, your survival is 99.5%. And if you're over 70, the survival rate approaches 95%. Really with with no treatment. Now, the dirty little secret, it's it's even better than that, right? If you take early treatment, this is essentially a either asymptomatic or very mildly symptomatic or completely recoverable. The people who die from COVID-19 are people who are kinda destined to die in this period anyway.
2: Let me repeat, the people who die from COVID-19 are people who are destined to die in this period anyways. So why are we locking down the entire world? And again, she quoted the CDC's fake hyperinflated numbers. And still, the outcome is as rosy as could be possible. Better than the flu, not a disease that should cause world lockdowns. And yet, everyone is extremely scared. People in my family are acting irrationally, very irrationally. Cancel everything. Cancel Christmas. Well, we canceled last Easter celebration. And listen, I'm not a big Easter guy. It's just a time for us all to get together. But they canceled last year. And I think we're going to make it a two for Cancel it this year, too. You know, my son is just old enough to, I think, enjoy his first Easter egg hunt. But no, the COVID lords have said no. There shall be no Easter egg hunts for my young son. Well, so be it. We've given our life to the overlords and they've made the decision. We shouldn't think for ourselves. We shouldn't take in information. We shouldn't think critically. We should just do what we're told. Just shut up and do what you're told. If anything has become clear of the last year, it is that you shouldn't speak up because if you speak up, you're canceled and you should just shut up and do what you're told. You want to keep your job? Shut up. You want to keep your life shut up well there's one more thing that dr simone gold gets into and she hits a nail right on the head talking about the emmy winning governor cuomo take a drink of this
3: i don't know how many if anybody in this room was watching the coronavirus task force meetings as closely as i was but i was watching them every day that i wasn't at work And I remember watching Governor Cuomo, and he was saying that he had to protect the elderly, had to protect the elderly, had to protect the elderly. I thought that was great. I thought that was great. And then one day, literally out of the blue, because I was watching it every day, he made this rule that patients from nursing homes who went to the hospital with COVID-19 but were, were survived and were ready to be discharged from the hospital could be sent back to their nursing home And the nursing home was not allowed to ask if they were COVID positive or COVID negative. In other words, they could completely intermingle with the other patients. Now, to remind you, that big Navy ship that was stationed off of New York City and the Jacob Javits Center were virtually empty. Now, what's amazing about that, as an emergency physician, I know all the time we have bed problems. You don't have a bed here, you don't have a bed there, but it was a complete lie to say that there was no room for these patients or they would lose their beds in the nursing homes. There were thousands and thousands of empty beds between Jacob Javits and the, and the Navy ship. And I remember watching this and thinking, that is unbelievable. He's like, a, he's like an executioner. It was incredible. So I wouldn't believe anything that somebody like that has said. It's tragic. It was really tragic. Yeah. It, you know, he'll have to answer. He'll have to answer. So, yeah. Uh. Yeah. Mm.
2: So isn't that really the state of our disillusionment that we'll, instead of charging a guy who sentenced people to die on mass, we're going to give him an Emmy award for his courage during his broadcasts during the peak time in New York city. Are you absolutely kidding me? She said it herself and hasn't really become a big story but the hospitals never were overrun and truly you design a hospital to be at max capacity as often as possible this is what they want especially in a profit driven market like america they want those beds to be full that's how they maximize their profits you know and i'm not saying that's a good thing but that's the reality of the situation so we have Cuomo who's sending these people back to nursing homes and they died that as a result of that action. You know That's the high-risk group. That's the group that they should be considering. Listen, I'm not going to say that I believe this, but it's interesting to think about. As a country, what do you do with your old people? They cost the most money to keep alive, and they contribute almost nothing to your country's GDP. Now, if you were a nefarious actor and you thought, Looking at the numbers of your state and thought, hmm, well, if we kill these people off, we can save this much money. Who knows? Was that part of the decision? I'm not saying it was, to be very clear. But is it something that pops into someone's mind, looking at a budget and saying, well, we can really clear up a couple hundred million here if these people just disappeared? Think about it. Hey, guys, it's me, Doni. Head to drinkyfromhumanskulls.com to join my mailing list. I'll send you my newest episodes and my hottest selfies. See you there. Well, that was Dr. Simone Gold, and thank you for your courage of absolutely speaking truth to power. Maybe she should get a $1 million prize from the Israeli government. What do you think? I don't think that's going to happen, and I certainly hope I can talk to her in the future. But absolutely, go to my website, drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. Check out the full video, because there's a lot of great stuff there. So let's move on now to an unlikely COVID truther, I guess is the accurate term, Tony Robbins. And he has a series of interviews where he is interviewing different people who have different opinions about This COVID-19 fiasco. And I'm going to clip him talking to one man. His name is Dr. Michael Levitt. He's a Stanford professor and a Nobel Prize winning scientist. So not a crackpot, but he's got some different thoughts and opinions that don't seem to align with the narrative. And actually, this conversation took place in May 2020. We've gone through this entire situation and still anything that this guy has said will be ruled out as a conspiracy theory, utter quackery, nonsense, because it doesn't fall in line with people are getting COVID like crazy, they need to get a vaccine, we need to lock down, triple mask, and don't go to grandma's house. Speaking of grandma's house, he starts by talking about the situation on the Diamond Princess. I'm not sure if you can remember that, but the Diamond Princess was a COVID-infected cruise ship. And the way he puts it, It seems like this would be the perfect model for a COVID response, and yet we didn't treat it that way. But let's listen to what he has to say, because he's quite salient when he puts the pieces together. Take a drink of this.
0: My first concern about the overall death rate came when the Diamond Princess cruise ship was becoming known. And I thought this would be a great experiment because almost everyone was infected. We could try to work out what was the not the case death rate but the population death rate because the trouble is is if you can't believe in the cases you need to know what fraction of a certain population will be will be suffering one problem i had on the diamond princess was is that i didn't actually know the age profile it turns out that more than half the people are over 65. when you look at the death rate from the diamond princess you find that for a regular population not old people something like 0.1 percent one, one in a thousand were dying on the Diamond Princess. Uh, that is higher than flu, but it's not, it's maybe a factor of two or three higher than flu. So when I saw this, I realized that maybe this was worse than flu, but it wasn't like SARS, it wasn't a 10% death rate. Since then, just a few minutes ago, I was looking at a paper from the Diamond Princess, and I now realized that that situation could have provided everything we need to know for dealing with COVID. There, now found many, many asymptomatic cases on the ship. They found a much, much higher effective infection rate. So that was the basic information that made me realize that it wasn't much worse than flu. I should say, though, that all my colleagues at Stanford tell me flu is a very serious disease. So don't yes. don't play lightly with flu.
2: So there is Michael Levitt talking about how this cruise ship, the Diamond Princess, basically proves that It's the same thing as the flu, and I'm not saying that the flu isn't serious, but we've never shut down the entire world's economy for a flu, never, and we've never tracked people's movements for a flu, never, we've never shut down the entire travel industry for the flu, never, so why are they doing it now with COVID, a comparable virus to the flu? is causing a wildly incomparable response. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to people who won the Nobel Prize. Doesn't make sense to me. And I hope it doesn't make sense to you. And if it does make sense to you, then I guess you're enjoying your time at home. I'm not. I feel like I'm in a cage and I'm up here in Canada. But anyway, let's listen to Michael Levitt get into the inflation of case numbers because this pretty much says it all. Take a drink of this.
1: And so one of the things you brought up that I was really interested in was seeing that these tests that we're doing are finding the virus, and people keep talking about the number of cases, and the more we test, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, the more virus, of course, we're going to find, the more cases. But what really matters is the death rate. Can you just address for us, you know, what does this really mean then? So about the death
0: rate, in China, it turned out that there were two very, very different death rates inside Hubei, the death rate was almost 10 times higher than the death rate out of Hubei. And that didn't make sense because it's the same disease. It also turns out that this is the first time a disease has been detected by looking for the DNA or the RNA of the virus. So it isn't, I mean, diseases are normally detected by physicians looking for symptoms. And, you know, you don't know how much virus is needed. This ended up being, I think cases became a big issue For political reasons, unfortunately, there's a huge amount of politics in order of this everywhere. I am a very apolitical person. I actually watch a sports game and I want either side to win. I don't really care. I like the game. (laughs) This is very unusual. And, you know, I think that, unfortunately, science is difficult and you can't be partisan. And uh, I think that there was a dynamic here and a dynamic which I found very anti-scientific that led to decisions being made.
2: Right. <sighs> so politics are fueling this, obviously. I mean, that just goes without saying. But, you know, in case you weren't convinced, we have a Nobel Prize winning chemist who is spelling it out. Certainly a very smart person, Stanford University since 1987. Uh-huh. So then Mr. Levitt gets into something very interesting, which is he talks about how epidemiologists don't mind being wrong on the very very high side of their projections and he finds that shocking and i do as well because i remember when this thing first started we had numerous doom and gloom type predictions that have turned out to be flagrantly false and have in fact shaped the entire response famously there was a guy named dr osterholm who was on the joe rogan podcast making it seem like we were all going to die within months. I didn't believe him and certainly Michael Levitt makes it clear that you shouldn't have believed him either. Let's take a drink of this.
0: I think that uh, the other thing that one has to remember, and again, I'm shocked by this, but epidemiologists don't mind being wrong on the high side. So if they come into it, you know, and this, I mean, in any other field, uh, you need to have a balance error, you you know, being 10% wrong on the low side is exactly the same as being 10% wrong on the high side. If you're an epidemiologist, to be wrong a thousand times on the high side is much, much better than being wrong by a factor of two on the low side. So they tend to exaggerate. The World Health Organization has a record of exaggerating, and I think they do this deliberately because they feel that the public won't pay attention unless they really exaggerate. The trouble is, is, as you've said, there's huge collateral damage caused by the consequences of things like lockdown, of shutting down economies, people going hungry, people losing their savings, which apparently is not part of the epidemiologist's job to consider. So what do these issues lead to an unbalanced situation scientifically?
2: You know, I live in a world where if you screw up at your job, there are repercussions. And I guess epidemiologists live in a world where the more doom and gloom they can stir up, The more they're listened to, the more they're given a platform on these mainstream news organizations. And certainly, if you follow the money, the more cases, the more fear, the quicker we can develop a vaccine to give to people and profit. So it certainly seems that that's what's happened. Let's move on to this last quip where he gets into the PCR testing and how that's been inflated. And let's listen to what he has to say first. Because this is really interesting. Take a drink of this. Uh, uh, uh,
1: interview, and in it, you talked about that people are being qualified. As COVID-19, we're counting if you die with Corona-19, we're counting as you died of Corona-19. And so uh, you were talking about looking at numbers and what they're telling us. We don't don't have enough information. You said the small amounts of virus can be detected. Almost everyone can die, no matter what the cause, and could be called coronavirus that killed you. Can you explain that? Okay, great. So my my last
0: point is that, essentially, the way the virus is detected is by a very beautiful, exquisitely sensitive biochemical method called polymerase chain reaction, or PCR for short. And what that does is it takes a little piece of your DNA, and it keeps on making copies. And it might make 40 copies each time going up many, many, million folds. And in the end, you say, well, is is this thing we've copied all the time? coming from the coronavirus. And it's this is the first time a disease has been detected this way, and I think we're not yet calibrated. On the one hand, we're missing people who are asymptomatic. On the other hand, we're marking people who have other conditions. Um, so I don't want to in any way belittle the, the the load this has been on the people that have had to work or the health professionals. But it is possible, I think, to, to die with coronavirus and maybe one, for whatever reason, I, this I don't understand, but there's been this race to the top, as you mentioned, to try to maximize death. And, you know, econ- economists use something called years of life lost. When I mentioned this in Israel, I was almost thrown out of the country because every death is a whole life in itself. And that's true. But, you know, if we, if, if I want, I'm 73, if I wanted a, a heart transplant now, no one would give me one. If I wanted to get life insurance now, no one would give it to me. So is it... Only the insurance companies that know what life really means. I don't know. These are open questions. I'm over. Thank you.
2: Uh. So there's some speculation at the end. Open questions. Very fair, I think. But he gets into PCR testing. I want to give you a little bit more decoding here. So basically what he means is that the PCR tests have been jacked up, whether intentionally or because people don't know what they're doing. They haven't calibrated, as he said. And that's causing this massive inflation in the case numbers. But it also has been found that they are attributing deaths to COVID, which likely either had nothing to do with COVID or where people who were going to die anyways ended up dying from COVID. A vulnerable person can catch a bug like the flu, like a coronavirus, and then progress to pneumonia and die as a result of that. They couldn't absorb that blow because of their comorbidities. So did they die from COVID-19? Well, certainly the case numbers and the death rates have gone up as a result of these statistical viewpoints. And you might say, well, the terrible situation we witnessed was one where we were locked down and where we were masking, where we were social distancing. So how bad could it have been if we weren't doing that? So no matter how you slice it, it doesn't make sense. It's really bizarre that we have this fear-mongering campaign and yet at the same time, no real solutions. It's just all doom and gloom, and should it be any surprise that the actual solutions they put into place also make people extreme amounts of money? They're not interested in solutions that don't line their pockets. I hope this is landing. But if it's not, let's take a drink of Dr. Lee Merritt. She's an orthopedic surgeon, and she used her time at home during the coronavirus pandemic To sort of put some pieces together, and it's really interesting what she came up with. So let's take a drink of these very rational conclusions. Doctors like myself, I mean, we had nothing to do. We
4: were shut down. We were sitting at home. And what do we do? Our response is to study. And we learned lots of things. In fact, I found out that we had treatment for viruses probably going back into the 19, late 70s. And so I graduated medical school in 1980. So I'm an old fart. But my son graduated much later, just recently. And he's a general surgeon. And I asked him, I said, have you ever heard in your entire medical education, all the fellowship, all the stuff you're doing? You ever heard we could treat viruses with with, violent, with these antimicrobial agents? No, he never heard it. Called my friend in Florida. 40-year internal medicine professor real medicine doctor he said you ever heard that we could treat viruses with some kind of antimicrobial agent no he never heard that so this is the biggest lie I, I tried to publish a paper called that but they made me change the title to something i can't remember but it's about the fact that they've lied to us for 40 years about this treatment so here's the big picture you don't need when we talk about vaccines and things why do we have vaccines we have vaccines because we didn't have treatment for small for smallpox. We didn't, and it was a very deadly disease. That made sense to have a vaccine. We didn't have treatment for um, polio initially, so made sense to have a vaccine. We actually have a treatment for this that works extremely well, in spite of all the propaganda and the attempts to falsify the medical literature, which they've gotten caught at, and the attempts to just dis, dis, just dismiss anything they don't agree with. Oh we not we have treatment for it and it really does work. So we don't need and you say why would they hide treatment? Well, I can come up with two reasons. One is that your 69 billion dollar vaccine industry goes to zero if you have an effective treatment for all these viral airborne diseases, right? So mumps, measles, blah blah blah. It might help all of these. We don't know completely yet because they Yeah, yeah, all. to be
1: clear, you're talking about things like uh, chloroquine and
4: hydroxychloroquine. Right. And ivermectin. There're probably mm-hmm. others. These are called lysosomotropic
2: agents. (laughs) So look, if you don't think that pharmaceutical companies and other economically interested parties haven't tipped the scales in their favor by getting into universities and having partnerships with doctors and sowing discord, you just aren't currently awake because that's what they do. They are in the business of making money. And well, if you can convince people that these cheap medications don't work and your vaccines are the only way forward, well, fantastic. They've convinced the world governments to agree that they shouldn't be liable should anything go wrong with this vaccine. We're going to produce this extra fast, make billions of dollars and have no liability. That does not sound right to me does it sound right to you i'm gonna leave it there for this episode and we're gonna get more in depth on the vaccine in a future episode because i think it warrants so much more investigation than it's being given in the mainstream media this is an experimental treatment it is not a vaccine and honestly that statement from dr lee Merritt made me wonder well Are all vaccines basically unneeded? If we're able to treat every virus with these different medications, then does it make sense we need to vaccinate everybody? If we think about this from a macroeconomic standpoint, why do we need to vaccinate everybody who may or may not have exposure to any viruses at all? If your goal is to reduce spend, then yes. But if your goal is to increase spend namely in your billion-dollar pharmaceutical vaccine industry, well, then it wouldn't be that. So I encourage you to follow the money. I encourage you to keep your eyes and ears open. I encourage you to visit my website, www.drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. Please do share this podcast if you found it valuable. And please do continue looking for new information, I don't claim to be the arbiter of truth, I don't claim to be someone who knows everything, but I certainly can see when we have a smokescreen distraction from the truth. And when these experts are silenced and censored for their very rational and tested and provable points of view, we have to wonder, why?